Well, thanks, uh, Ash, for uh, bringing that reading and Bev for the other one earlier. It's great to have this opportunity to start a brand new uh, series with you. And I'm going to pray that God would help us uh, to learn lots, uh, to be challenged where we need to be challenged, and that he would change us uh, to be more and more pleasing to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this word that you've preserved. Thank you for this picture of the world as you made it. I pray, Father, this morning that you might be challenging us by your Holy Spirit, that you might be poking and prodding us where we've been buying the lies of the world and that we might hear afresh what it is that you desire for us. Father, help us to meet you today. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's our our series. Uh, It's a pretty bold title. It's called Meeting God uh, in the Old Testament. And I wanted to think with you uh, for a second what it would look like for you uh, to meet God. Uh, Imagine uh, you sort of plonk down a chair and uh, pull up the chair. There's God and you say, well, God, I've got some questions for you about the world around me. I've got some questions. I'd like to understand some things about the world around me. And we could ask any number of questions. What we're going to be doing through this series is picking a question each week and trying to think, As we see God in the Old Testament, what do we learn about him and about what he purposes for us as people? So today's question we're going to look at, as Stuart sort of brought it to us, is what's the good life? What does the good life look like uh, for human beings? So if you're sitting down with God and you say, well, God, I've got your attention now for a little period of time. Why don't you tell me what a good life looks like? Uh, I think it's a great question. What, what, What might it be? I guess as we think about what the good life looks like, I want to say not just the fun life. It was interesting, the reading Stuart brought to us at the start of the service from Ecclesiastes. A man who had everything that could possibly give you the desire of your heart. And at the end of it, he said it was meaningless. I want us to think this morning about what the good life looks like and think of it through the lens of human flourishing. What I mean by that is the best of life for human beings as they were designed, human flourishing. So what does, what does human flourishing look like? I think uh, we want to think about it uh, through God's lens, but our world tells us a whole lot of things. I think if our world is talking about the good life, it talks about, well, you won't, we won't be working anymore, you'll be retired. Uh, you'll be free, you'll be totally you, you might even be a little bit wild, and you'll be totally unbound by any responsibility. Just get out there and live free. I think our world sends us that message all the time. What I want to do is basically think through those five things and see how the passage in Genesis chapter 2, if you can get it open, that'd be great. I think it was page 2 and page 3 respectively, uh, so not too difficult to find. Good to have it open in front of you. I want us to have a look here and see what it is that God would say to us on this topic. Before we get there, let me give you a little bit of an idea of what the world might say to us. The world isn't totally ignorant of the idea that that maybe life isn't always brilliant. There's a great little cartoon um, I I found here. I'll kind of zoom in for you. Uh, It says, I think do what you love is useless advice when it comes to making a living. Can you see he's got two circles here? One circle on the left is what you love. The circle on the right is what loves you back. And if you end up somewhere in that little overlap there, uh, you're very lucky. He, he kind of actually says, uh, he says here, 
I'd recommend looking at the, what the world needs, thinking about what you have to offer, and working hard to build a skill set that you can fill that void with. Uh, now, look, that's quite wise and quite helpful, and it sort of says to us, don't just pursue what you love. We're going to see even better than that uh, in the Bible. If we have a look, I have a bit of an overview of the Bible. Some of you will have seen it before. If you're new amongst us, you won't have seen this before. The Bible itself is broken up into two major parts, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And I've got some pictures that kind of give us an overview of the message of the Old Testament and the New. And the reason I want to put these up is as we go through this series, Meeting God in the Old Testament, I want to show us roughly where we are in that big story of what God is trying to communicate. You see, if you have a look up here, you can see on the far left, there's a beautiful world, blue. And then you go all the way to the end of the Bible. And what the, what the Bible says is, the end, there will be a new creation. Everything restored to what it was at the start, a beautiful world again. The message is that in the Old Testament, we see only part of the picture. It, it would be what we might call, um, the message is kind of, called concealed in the Old Testament. It's concealed in the Old Testament and it's revealed fully in the New. In other words, God's setting us up to understand him in the Old Testament and we see it fully, it's fully revealed in the New Testament. The old is the new concealed, the new is the old revealed. There you go, that's your little memory verse to take away from today. So here's the, here's the big picture. What I want to do is zoom in here and just see where our reading from Genesis chapter 2 came from. In, uh, in Genesis chapter 2, we're at the end of the first account of God saying he created the world in seven periods, seven days. And then we have kind of a second, we kind of zoom in on the account of the creation of human beings, Adam and Eve. And we get in chapter 2 a second account of what that looks like. So that's Genesis 1 and 2, this beautiful fresh world. Now can you see next to it an orange world? Something happens in Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, we see that sin stains everything. Sin stains everything. And we live after Genesis chapter 3, in a world where everything has been touched by sin. Genesis 1 and 2, however, give us a picture of life before the fall, before sin came in. And so they're actually really precious. If we look in here, we'll see what God's good purpose is before sin stains it and breaks it. So if we dive into this chapter we have before us today, we have the best chance we have of seeing what the good life could possibly look like. Life before sin. Does that make sense? Okay, well, what messages do we get on our side of the fall. So I want to think about a message from our world and then see how the picture from Genesis 2 challenges that. Here's a message that our world sends us. Uh, do we recognise these sort of uh, pictures? There's probably a big billboard down here which looks like that. Is that right, Cheslon? Uh, the world says uh, your good life will start when you relax and retire. Okay? You can kick back. No more drudgery, no more daily grind. Endless walks on the beach. Uh, does, does that sound right, uh, Cheslonians? <laughs> there were some nodding and some shaking heads. I, I don't think I've actually met more busy people in my life than the retirees uh, that I know. Your, your lives fill up, don't they? 
But the lie that comes from our world is the good life is found, dump this work thing, relax and retire. Now for some of us who are right in the midst of careers and whatever, you might think that really is the good life and I can't wait for it. But I actually think we see something quite different here in Genesis chapter 2. Have a look with me at chapter 2 and verse 15. The Lord God took the man, Adam, who he created, and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. He took Adam and put him in the garden before sin came into the world and gave him work. Radically, I think, for our minds, the picture in Genesis says human flourishing includes gainful employment. Before sin came into the world, God gave people work to do. I think that's radical because I think most of us, particularly as you sit in uh, Norellan Road or Camden Valley Way, would say it's a curse, yes? Uh, It may have turned into a curse, but what God purposed at the start was gainful employment. I want to say at this point, it's really important to say, it's contributing, not necessarily earning. Okay? Did, Did Adam receive a wage from God? Don't think too hard. I know it's Sunday morning. The answer is no, he didn't. He wasn't paid. He didn't have a little bank deposit. Direct debit went in there and God subtracted out maintenance fees for the garden or something. wasn't like that. God sustained him. God blessed him. God gave him everything he needed. But he said to him, I have given you a job. You are to work the garden and to care for it. Purposeful, contributing to the flourishing of the garden. You have bound up in your humanity the need to contribute. And so I think the world sells a lie when it says you will be most happy doing nothing. I think that's profoundly wrong. What that means, it has some implications. First one, I just want to say this. Incidentally, workaholics, um, find a pattern of rest. Uh, Did you see that we we read there in uh, Genesis chapter 2 that even God rested on the seventh day? Did you see that? Uh, you're not God, last time I checked in. Uh, that means you should, as much as possible, follow a pattern of rest in your life. So if you're a workaholic, try and work out how to find a place of rest. I need to say that as I'm elevating the need of employ- uh, gainful employment. Second thing I want to say, I think we need to beware of the dream job obsession of our age, right? I'm just going to stop for a second. I think we need to be wary of this. For some of us, we have created this ideal and we talk about it. We even have a name for it, dream job. How many of our dreams come true, incidentally? Not very many. I think it's okay to have a fantasy. I don't even mind. I think it's okay to be working towards something. But while we end up with a dream job obsession, I think we innately hate where we are now. Yeah? It breeds immense dissatisfaction in the now. It means we don't put ourselves at God's disposal to be his person in the place where we're employed or in the relationships that we have because we're obsessed with somewhere else, somewhere future. Beware of the dream job obsession. I also want to say, I think what this means is that unemployment is a scourge. And I I want to explore this for a second. What I mean is, if we create a society where unemployment is sustained, 
I actually think we're robbing people of some key part of them. And so we have social security in Australia, which I'm very thankful for, because there are times and circumstances where people can't work. And we are a rich enough country and we're caring enough to set up a system where we can look after people who can't work. But when we say there's no need to work at all, and people become in a lifestyle disconnected from contributing to the community, I actually think it robs us of our humanity. It actually does damage to us as individuals. I think that's a radical thought. Now, what I'd say to you today is if you're not in paid employment, don't, don't despair. There are ways that you can gainfully contribute to the world around you. And many of you will be doing this. It doesn't require a pay packet to mean that you're gainfully employed. It's your passion, your desire to contribute beyond yourself into the community. And all I'd say to you is find a way to do that. Find a way to do that. So first thing is gainful employment is part of human flourishing. I think that's a, I think that's a surprise for most of us. Uh, number two, I, I really like this. I think our, our world would say to us, oh, isn't this great? Get a big boat. Uh, that's worth lots of money, obviously retire and write no rules on the back of it. It's fantastic, isn't it? As well as flying an American flag, no doubt. Very, very good. So, so what's, the, what's the good life look like? Well, it looks like no rules, doesn't it? Do what you want to do. I think that's the idea. True freedom is no rules doing what you want to do. I notice uh, that no rules chose to justify the letters of the boat uh, in an even straight line, and so there was a rule under the bottom of that. Anyway, that's just by the by. We think to be truly free is to be free from any constraints, any rules. Genesis 2 says something quite different. Have a look with me at verses 16 to 17. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free, see this? You are free to eat from any tree in the garden. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will certainly die. This is absolutely radical. This is going to fry our brain. We hear straight away, oh, there's a rule. There's a thing that you can't do. The devil always tells us this. What did God give them? He gave them rules. What did he give them in the garden that they could enjoy? Everything except one thing. What do we hear? We absolutely obsess, don't we, on the one thing we can't have. Rather than, if you don't, uh, oh, this is a wonderful tree. Uh, let's say this is the tree you can't eat from. We, we go, okay, you can't eat from that. And immediately what we've done is we've turned our back on the abundant provision that God has given us. Haven't we? We obsess on the tree we can't have and we turn our back on everything that we could enjoy. Isn't that extraordinary? And so we forsake the freedom of everything with the one thing that we can't have. I just think that's so instructive for us in sin, isn't it? In so many parts of our lives, we turn away from the good things that God has given us and obsess on the things we can't have. Human flourishing, truly being human, the best life is freedom within a frame. Freedom within a frame. It's actually got some boundaries to it. And we know this, don't we? If you love your kids, right, and you set them out, kids, you can do whatever you want today, but don't kill your sister. Or, you know, we'll actually say, don't put your hands in the blender or don't run on the, in the traffic. We're actually going to bound that up a little because you'll actually have more fun 
if we give a little bit of boundary. The other thing that I find is extraordinary with kids when they're playing games, guess what they do? They endlessly create rules, don't they? And it's actually because the game's more fun when we understand what our freedom includes and doesn't include. It's a radical thing that we as adults completely forget. True freedom, beautiful freedom, is the freedom to live right in the way God intended for us. Freedom within a frame. So here's the thing. Obedience isn't the opposite of freedom. It may just show us the boundaries to what is good. True human flourishing comes from obeying the word of God. Here's the other thing that's worth noting here, isn't it? Uh, Throwing off God's good rules results in dissatisfaction and death. What happens if you eat from the fruit of this tree? You will surely die. Well, that's bad. Let's not do that. I don't need your rules, God. I'm going to go my own way. Always results in dissatisfaction and death. Always. I want to be free. I want to throw off God. I want to be my own God, live my own life my own way. You will trade freedom, the feeling of freedom, for death and dissatisfaction. Always. Human flourishing involves freedom within a frame. I love this one. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Now, if we're looking for a picture of freedom, that's it, isn't it? I mean, that's amazing. I think our world will often tell us Um, I can do it on my own. The the idea is I don't need anyone's help, okay? I'm going to go and do it on my own. And and to be truly free is not to be dependent on anyone else. I don't need anyone else. I'm rich enough that I don't need anyone else. I can just do my own thing. Freedom. Incidentally, I I just, as this this is a picture of freedom, I just want to leave you on a little thing. Uh, How free is that person? Quite free. How long can they be free for? Yeah, okay. It really, it really depends entirely on the wind, but it's not forever, is it? It's always going to end on the ground. Have a look at me at verse 18. The Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. It's not good for man to be alone. I'll make a suitable helper for him. I want to say this this morning that human flourishing includes real relationships includes real relationships. So God says, Adam, you're going to need a helper. And he gives him Eve. If we extrapolate from that, though, God could have set Adam up. And he does it, doesn't he? He, he gives him the, 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 the animals. And it could have been Adam and Fido forever. Yeah? Couldn't it? It's pre-sin. But what does God say? Actually, for you to flourish, for you to really live, I need you to have someone else here. Someone else to relate to. See, God himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, were eternally relating together. And so when they create goodness for us, it's in relationship to echo the beauty of God himself who is always relating. Human flourishing needs real relationships. What does that mean? Community is key. Not just me, but a community. Community is key. And additionally, I think, if it'll pop up here, Um, I think this is a challenge. Church, here's a challenge for you. Find a way to receive help in our community. See, Adam could have said, if he was an Aussie bloke anyway, Adam would have said, no, it'll be right, God. Don't need any help, thank you. I'm on fire, I've got a broken arm. How are you, mate? I'm fine, doing fine, thank you. No problems. 
I think that's always our answer, isn't it? Some men here nod slightly and just get, yeah, right, okay, good. We, we want to be independent. It's kind of bound into ourselves. And I actually think what's good for us is to actually receive help in community. And I think for many of us here, that's a huge challenge. It's a huge challenge. Not just to offer it, but to be the person who says, I'm going to be humble enough to receive it. Human flourishing includes real relationships. I was watching The Matrix last night. Uh, last night, night before. And, uh, and in it, uh, the, the key character, Mr. Smith, uh, is talking to Morpheus, one of the other key characters. He says, uh, human beings are a virus. They're, a, they're an overly successful species that's filling up the planet. He also says that humans stink, but that's, that's beside the point. Uh, there's a way of thinking about human beings that just says we're just the most successful mammals to arrive on the surface of the earth. Yeah, have you heard this? You're just a successful set of chimpanzees. Yeah? So I think there's some morality that gets built up from this. Have you heard this kind of evolutionary morality, this idea that, oh, our ancestors would have done this, so therefore we should do this? Have you heard this? Kind of like cavemen would have had to have multiple partners because they could have been killed, and so in order to make sure their genes go on. So actually, monogamy is an imposition, and actually human beings are just like animals, and we should sow our wild oats. Have you heard that sort of stuff? All right. So you're an animal, go wild. The Bible does not agree with that at all. Have a look at verses 19 to 20. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the sky and the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable, uh, no suitable helper was found. Here's the interesting thing. Who is given the job of naming the animals? Adam. Is Adam an animal to be named? I just want you to see this. It is so important. It is a radically different vision of the world. It says that human beings are the pinnacle of God's creation and they are not the same as the animals. God placed Adam and Eve in the garden and gave them responsibility to care for the world around them. That is a high view of humanity. That's a high view of humanity. Human flourishing includes dutiful dominion. I just liked it because it was double Ds. It's all right. What it, what it means is they're supposed to care for the earth because they aren't the same as the animals. Their job is to look after the world. That's a task given only to them. It's not given to badgers. It's not given to magpies. Okay? It's not for them. It's for humanity. You are given responsibility to care for this world. Incidentally, it's more work, isn't it? So here's the thing. It's a positive call to care for the world God has made. Now, if you're looking for environmentalism, incidentally, I think this is your best possible place to find it. I think human beings aren't called to trash the planet. Here is to serve and protect, to care, to have dominion, certainly, to rule over, but to do it with care. Can you see that? Human flourishing includes this idea of dutiful dominion. And I want you to see here, get this, it's so important, because you'll see it crop up all the time once you start looking for it. Humans, not animals, should shape our morality. 
What is right for human beings, not right, what is right for cavemen or monkeys or whatever. We can't extrapolate morality from animals. God will not allow it. You are different from animals. This one's very interesting. Uh, I think our world tells us, don't tie me down in relationships. Don't tie me down in relationships. And I think this message, whether you see it around you, I see it all the time. That there are people who feel, my marriage is just constraining me. Uh, I didn't know that I would lose my social life when I got married, and my girlfriends are still going out, so why can't I go out? And once I go out with them enough, why do I need my, I can just, it would be better if I... Don't tie me down, I think, can be a message our world sends us. And it is radically at odds with the message in Genesis 2. Have a look at the beautiful way God set up creation before the sin entered the world. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man. And he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Bill Cosby said, before he was someone that we don't quote anymore, uh, Bill, Bill Cosby said, uh, he does, does a take on, on, uh, on uh, Genesis 2. And uh, God brings the woman to man. He goes, whoa, man. And God goes, yeah, that'll do. Okay, next. That is why, verse 24, a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. See, human flourishing, according to Genesis 2, has sex as sacred. This one flesh union is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Sex is sacred, not something for pleasure, solely. Sacred. It has a place to be expressed. And so here's the thing. Marriage isn't necessity for living, but it is for sex. So I don't think that the Bible says you have to be married. And the best example of that, in case you're wondering, is that Jesus was a single bloke. Yep. Did he live a full human life? He absolutely did. He absolutely did. But the Bible is very clear. Marriage isn't a necessity for living, but it is a necessity for sex, where to be married, to express this one flesh union. Secondly, I think uh, it's important to see that we are to be faithful, that faithfulness is to, to define our lives whether we are married or single. So if at the moment we are not married, we are to stay chaste and single. Until we find a relationship we'll pursue, we won't have sex in that relationship until we've committed to one another before God. Faithfulness, whether we're married or single. Faithful if you're married, faithful if you're single. No more or less humanity there, but we need to treat sex as sacred. All right. Let's think about human flourishing as it's pictured here in Genesis. Talk about work and I think the Bible turns our world's expectation on its head and says you need to be a contributor. When we talk about freedom, the Bible turns this on our head and says actually freedom with obedience. If we talk about relationships, I think the Bible says that we need to be connected. We need to give and receive help from one another. When it comes to the environment, I think the Bible says that we need to be good stewards of the world around us. When it comes to marriage... We need to see 
that we need to be faithful with regard to how we use the wonderful gift of sex. Now that is a picture that is wrapped up in Genesis chapter 2, verse 25. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. What that means is they were perfectly able to relate to each other. They were perfectly able to relate to God because there was no what? No sin to scar it. And so we have here a picture, a beautiful picture of the world as God intended it at the start. But today we know that is not like now. Sin has stained every part of it. Work, freedom, relationships, uh, the environment and our, um, and our marriages. Sin stains everything, every part of it. So I think the question becomes... Ever since Genesis chapter 2, this stain has been over creation. And we want to find out what it is, if we move to the New Testament, how does Jesus help? How does Jesus help us rediscover a life that won't be sold out to the lies? That won't be sold out to the lies. Well, Jesus lived a perfect life without sin. He died on the cross to pay the price for our sin and rose again to show that it was done. Because he has done that, what he offers you and I is this incredible offer. See, Adam in the garden, they had no guilt. They were naked and they felt no shame. Today, that is not us, thankfully, particularly because of the weather, we're all clothed today. But there's also this shame, this guilt that we carry around on the other side of the fall. Jesus offers us freedom, forgiveness, and a fresh start. Have a listen to these beautiful words from Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. How do we find the good life? How do we get back to the life that Jesus intended for us? If I tell you today that you just need to work harder at your morality, I have failed. I have failed. I've turned the good life into a job you have to do. The wonderful good news of the, of the gospel, the good news about Jesus is he offers us forgiveness and a fresh start. The ability to live a new life. The ability to live a new life. And so I want to say to you, as we finish up this morning... These words from John 10 are an invitation to us. Jesus says the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. The devil would gladly have you trade away your everything for this one thing you can't have, wouldn't he? The thief constantly whispering through our world sells us lies that lead to death and destruction all the time. The thief has come only to kill and to destroy. Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. If we want to find the good life, we can look to Genesis 2. We can find forgiveness in Jesus and start to live in the shape of the life that he will help us live. If you're miles away from the good life, start by getting right with God through Jesus and then pursue the shape of the life that he gives to us. I've come that they might have life and have it to the full. Where is true life, a new life found? Only in Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks that you haven't just burdened us up with more work to do.
Father, we see the lies that our world sells us. Relaxation, freedom from obligation. Father, we know that they lead to death and destruction. We ask that we might find forgiveness in Jesus, that your Holy Spirit might change our hearts and that you might empower us to live the shape of the new life you lay before us. Thank you for Jesus. Father, give us a great desire to find full life in him. For we ask it in his name. Amen.